Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And today we're talking not about Legion at all, because <laughs> Legion's on hiatus and we haven't talked about Legion since it ended for the last season. These are special bonus episodes because Speci- we love you. <laughs> yes, because Each we care about you and your happiness. So we're going to talk today about a TV show, Pushing Daisies. We'll get, I think, to why exactly this fits in Clockworks. But before we do, Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this show? So Pushing Daisies was a show uh, created by Brian Fuller and ran from 2007 to 2009, mostly just 2008. Um, It starred Lee Pace, Anna Frail, G. McBride, Ellen Green, Susie Kurtz, Kristen Chenoweth. It was narrated by Jim Dale. And it was canceled halfway, basically halfway through the second season, and so never really got resolved, sadly. But it was a great show. Can you want to tell us a little bit about what it was about, Paul? So the premise of Pushing Daisies is Ned, played by Lee Pace, has inexplicably the power to bring dead things back to life by touching them for one minute. If he touches them again, they die again forever. And if he doesn't touch them again within one minute, then something else nearby dies. And those are the rules of Ned's (laughs) life. They are completely unexplained. There's no reason why he has this power in the show. Just he just does. Yeah. I mean, maybe if the show had kept going, they might have. I kind of hope that they never would have. Yeah, that's true. Ned, uh, the first person he brings back to life is his mother. She, he doesn't know the reason for his powers yet. And after one minute, the neighbor's father dies. And that's how he learns that something nearby will die if he doesn't touch a second time within a minute. And then later his mother kisses him goodnight and dies. The neighbor whose father died uh, is Ned's childhood crush Mm -hmm. Charlotte Charles, known as Chuck. Years later, as an adult, Charlotte Charles dies tragically, and um, Ned brings her back to life, doesn't kill her again in one minute, and for the rest of the show, she is with him. They're unable to touch, because if they do, she will die again. Also, in this show, Ned has a partnership with a local private investigator named Emerson Codd, and the two of them solve murders by touching dead people, asking them how they died, and then solving the murder. Mm-hmm. That's the every episode of Pushing Daisies is centers around solving some murder. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a murder mystery, episodically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very episodic, and then with all this mythology behind it. Mm-hmm. I think that's basically the. Basically, there's uh, also Chuck. Kristen Chenoweth is in it and is uh, the. She works at the pie hole that Ned runs and is in love with Ned as well. And, and Chuck's uh, aunts. Yeah, Chuck's aunts. Uh, think that she's dead and are in the cast and they're the attempt to try to get them to get over their grief over Chuck's death is an ongoing plot in the story. Mm hmm. So why Pushing Daisies in connection with Legion? 
Its connection is somewhat tenuous. I mean, <laughs> we love Pushing Daisies. It's one of these ones that we, we loved back when it aired. Um, there is a production designer in common. Michael Wiley did the production design on this and on Legion. And there are some connections we'll talk about further. Yeah. I mean, in terms of Michael Wiley being the production designer, I didn't know until we started talking about Legion what exactly a production designer was. Mm -hmm. We set up an interview with Michael Wiley and I did a whole ton of research for it. And then because of schedules, it fell apart. So I have the research still in my head. (laughs) Um, And maybe one day we will be able to reschedule that. Michael Wiley, if you happen to be listening, we would love to talk to you. And now we would want to talk to you a little bit about Pushing Daisies as well. Mm -hmm. But the production designer is responsible for a lot of the look of the show. The physical world that the actors inhabit and therefore the characters inhabit. And so there's a lot of the look of Legion in common with Pushing Daisies Mm -hmm. because it has a production designer in common. And Pushing Daisies, when we first made, when we first recorded our very first episode about Legion, we talked about what Legion reminded us of, and Pushing Daisies was one of those things, uh, partly because of the the main character, the main love interests who can't touch each other is a big thing in common, but like there was just something about Legion that reminded us of Pushing Daisies, and so we wanted to kind of talk about Pushing Daisies a bit. So do you want to start right now by fleshing out a little bit some of those uh, comparisons, or do you want to just talk about Pushing Daisies first? Let's let's compare it to Legion first, and then we'll get into a little more of just Pushing Daisies on its own. So I think the first thing, as we said, is just the aesthetic of it because mm-hmm. of a production designer in common. Mm-hmm. I noticed watching Pushing Daisies again, uh, we watched the first season again, and we'll watch the second season because we really want to, but mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. I haven't recently rewatched the second season yet. Rewatching Pushing Daisies, one of the things I really noticed is circles. Mm-hmm. Michael Wiley, it seems, was the one responsible for the circles on Legion. I think so. I mean, we kind of figured that anyway, because that's part of the production designer's job. Uh, there are a lot of circles on Pushing Daisies, specifically the pie hole, the pie restaurant that Ned and Olive work in. Has circular windows, mm-hmm. has circle. It itself is, it seems to be a circle. Like it's shaped like a pie. Yeah. And the tables are circular, and there's a circular design on the bent, the booths. Mm-hmm. The house that the ants, Lily and Vivian, live in has a wrought iron gate with cir- a circle motif. Hmm. There's probably others. Those are the two circle motifs I really noticed. Yep. I mean, it's just like the pies themselves. The pies are such a major part of the show, and they're all circles. And so there's a very, the pie motif goes throughout the whole show. Yeah. Um, There's also something that uh, Pushing Daisies is super saturated color. All the colors are really bright and really Mm -hmm. dramatic. And Legion is not quite as super saturated as... Pushing Daisies is, but it's more than an average show. And color is used so carefully and deliberately on Legion. Yeah. And also on Pushing Daisies. Yes. Color is important Color's on this show. vital to this show, yeah. I think about Olive Snook wears green almost always. She mm-hmm. reminds, not in character, but in aesthetic, she kind of reminds me of Amy. She's wearing this, like, 60s green yeah. max, uh, mini dress mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time. And the... 
uh, morgue that they keep going to has this red and white checker motif on the outside. Yeah. This, like, dramatic red connected to the idea of death, Mm -hmm. just like on Legion. Like, the what those colors mean isn't the same, but dramatic color that's both aesthetically gripping, but also symbolically meaningful Mm -hmm. is a big thing. The other major thing is it's grounding in time. Yeah. It's very similar to Legion in that. And somehow it didn't drive me as crazy for some reason, (laughs) but it's, it seems like it's the sixties, like the clothing and some of the surrounding things seem a little like it's the sixties and the cars, Mm -hmm. the cars almost seem like the fifties. And, but it's also every once in a while we'll have computers, we'll have newer technology. It, it just, it's a very fantasy world. Yeah. And very similar to Legion in that, in that you feel like watching it, you're like, okay, this is, this is taking place at a particular time. And then you're like, no, but it doesn't make sense for that particular time frame. And that is, yeah. And it definitely, I think it's doing it almost exactly the same way Legion is. And even though Pushing Daisies has a very different tone than Legion does, I feel like it's doing it for the same reason that Legion is. It's not, it's uh, not letting you find a solid grounder in Mm -hmm. the real world. Yeah. Because this is a fantasy world. This is a fantasy setting. It's disorienting, uh, deliberately alienating, because it doesn't want you to be able to ground it. And everything about it screams at you, this is not real. Suspend your disbelief in the, like, don't worry too much about the rules of, like, how Ned can do these raising people from the dead thing. Worry about the story. Pay attention to the beautifulness of the story and the beautifulness of the sets. And don't don't think about how this is unrealistic. Think about how much you like it. This is the thing we talked about when we were talking about Legion, that uh, there's this Brechtian distance. And I don't know if I uh, defined that on an episode of Clockworks in the Past, but I will now. Berhold Brecht is a modernist playwright, and his theory of plays, his theory of what a play should be, is that you shouldn't try to make your audience... You shouldn't try to realistically reproduce things on the stage. You should always remind your audience that it's fiction. You Mm. should alienate your audience from the story instead of trying to immerse them in the story for reasons that I won't go into all of Brecht's reasons. But when you see art that is really drawing attention to its artifice, drawing attention to the fact this is a TV show, things like when the character turns and looks at the camera, but also things like when the sound stages on Pushing Daisies are not trying to look like they're not sound stages. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pushing Daisies does that in a different way from how Legion does, but mm-hmm. they're both really doing it. They're Neither one of them want you to forget this is a TV show. Mm-hmm. They want you to be aware that you're watching a TV show, you're watching a work of art, it's doing deliberate things with its medium, with its all the tools it has available to it. I think that, um, as so often is the case with Brian Fuller, this show got cancelled ahead of its... Uh, this show got cancelled early on in its run, and it's 
I think it's really because he's always ahead of his time. Yeah. This kind of show where it's very surreal and very distant, like you say, distant from the audience is something that happens now. Mm. Now there's a lot more of that idea, and Legion is an example of that. And shows like Pushing Daisies paved the way for a show like Legion to happen, and for a show like Legion to get renewed and get an audience and exist. And I'm sad for Brian Fuller that all of his shows got cut so short, but it's because but his shows paved the groundwork for for these other uh for these other things to happen. Yeah. I mean, is, I'm not going to look it up, but is, how soon after Pushing Daisies does he make uh, Hannibal? Where is Pushing Daisies in Brian Fuller's timeline? Do you remember? Hannibal is after, but quite a few years after. But like, is there a show in between? I don't know. Because he did Dead Like Me. Yeah. Wonderfalls. Yeah. He did... Pushing Daisies, he tried to do a Monsters reboot right. called Mockingbird Lane, which only got one episode, which was really good. I really liked that episode. And then Hannibal. And then Hannibal. It just feels to me like I wonder, like, Pushing Daisies is similar to what Brian Fuller has done before, but not, you have to be paying attention to notice the way that something like Pushing Daisies is like Hannibal or American Gods. If yes. you're paying attention, you can notice. But Hannibal and American Gods are really like each other in their aesthetic, mm-hmm. and unlike things that came before Pushing Daisies. Yeah, he got dark. He got dark, <laughs> and he got. I forgot that he was American Gods as well. That's yeah, that's the other thing he is. He like Mockingbird Lane is the transition between. But I just wonder if Pushing Daisies, you know, this was the end of Brian Fuller's whimsy. Mm-hmm. Like he's whimsical in. In Hannibal and Pushing Daisies, but dark whimsy. Yeah. And Pushing Daisies is very... He always had that line between light and dark. Like, Dead Like Me had, you know, and and Pushing Daisies both have really gruesome graphic deaths. They're just played for lightness. Yeah. And it's, it's dark comedy, almost like lighter than Fargo, for example. Not, not, that, not that he's Fargo, but... I compare it to Fargo, but and that you almost kind of want to laugh at these like ridiculous deaths of like someone frozen inside of a snowman or someone, you know, and that happens in both Pushing Daisies and his earlier show Dead Like Me. Mm-hmm. But then his more recent, like Hannibal, there are some really gruesome graphic deaths, but they're played for realism. And so you're horrified when like what Hannibal does and what the killers do on that show. Yeah, for sure. E- even though they're over the top deaths as well. Yeah. I, yeah, I just wanted to, like, notice how many of the deaths on Pushing Daisies, you could just do the exact same death on Hannibal, film it a little differently, and he probably has. Like, I know yeah. that Brian Fuller has reproduced some elements from his older shows in, especially Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's a girl in Hannibal who... Who thinks she's dead. Thinks and she's, she's dead, and, and she's, she's named... I think, is she named George? She's played by the same person who played she George. Played George, yeah. Anyway, we're getting a little off uh, talking <laughs> yeah, about... Yeah, I mean, I I want to talk about Just Pushing Daisies, but in general, Brian Fuller is one of my favorites. When I found out he was going to be doing Star Trek Discovery, I was really excited and then disappointed when he's not as involved as he was going to be. Yeah. He, But 
he does really interesting groundbreaking things. And I feel like Noah Hawley and him are both doing things that are, that are just revolutionizing and this, this golden age of TV that we're in right now. And Noah Hawley comes at it from a different direction, Mm -hmm. but a lot, there's a lot of similarity in Noah Hawley and Brian Fuller's approach. I think that, And one of them is the this line of dark humor, gruesome, but played for laughs, but not played for laughs that we mm-hmm. see in Fargo, that we see also in all through Brian Fuller. And then also the surrealness yeah. in the visuals. And then also the like... I just think Noah Hawley maybe owes a, owes a lot to Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller paved the way for him yeah. to, to do these things. I agree. Yeah. So let's get more into the actual show. Yes. Okay? Let's. One more little thing that we don't oh. need to talk about but just uh pushing daisies is sort of a musical oh yeah in the same way that yes. legion is sort of a musical that yeah. is neither one of them are a musical but they have musical but numbers they have occasional out of nowhere musical numbers because if you have christian chenoweth on your show you have to have her sing if you have ellen green on your show you have to have her sing these people are singers <laughs> except that you know it's the chicken and the egg because do you write a song because you happen to have cast Kristen Chenoweth or do you cast Kristen Chenoweth because you're planning to have songs and Alan Green especially like she's not a TV actor yeah so you have her on because you're gonna have singing that's possibly true maybe maybe anyway don't need to go into that but they their approach to musical numbers are very similar where yeah. like suddenly there's a musical number for no reason yeah <laughs> or for and that's part of the artificiality, right? Yeah. Because musicals are one of the most Brechtian forms because it's one of the things that people get mad about musicals is as if someone would just start singing. But like, you're not supposed <laughs> you're, to. You're just talking directly to our brother-in-law. Right? Yes. <laughs> who, who talks like this? This is not, no, that's not at all how he sings. But uh, <laughs> the point is not, it's not trying to be realism. It's doing the exact opposite. It's reminding you that what you're watching isn't real. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I think Legion has the musical numbers, especially. Mm-hmm. I agree. So let's right. get into the show. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what's your favorite part of Pushing Daisies? Oh, I you have asked a difficult question <laughs> right now. I think... Um, I have nothing but praise for every one of the principal cast. Mm-hmm. And I think that I love the aesthetic of it. I love the premise of it, but it wouldn't work without Lee Pace, Chi McBride, uh, Kristen Chenoweth, mm-hmm. Anna Friel. They are all doing amazing on this show. Mm-hmm. And like the most recent episode we watched, for example, uh, has Chi McBride is um, Emerson Cobb, the, the detective, the private detective, and he spends a lot of the show being a very, like, just give me my money kind of <laughs> character. Uh, and then in the most recent episode, there's uh, four reasons that we don't have to... The most recent episode that we just watched the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how he his daughter that he is estranged from and suddenly she mcbride is like so such giving such a nuanced and emotionally Hmm, moving performance and then he moves back to this like broad uh slapstick character 
and the ability to move from one to the other so well is one of the things like I love him and then Lee Pace is just amazing mm-hmm. this is where I know Lee Pace from first I, mm-hmm. he also was on Wonderfalls which was filmed first but I saw after mm-hmm. I saw Pushing Daisies and like he has gone on to be a bigger name and deserves it and yeah. he is amazing in this as the lead this is yeah. my favorite Lee Pace role yeah me too and like Anna Friel as Chuck, who is could easily be a manic pixie dream girl, except that partly because of the writing and partly because of the performance, she's just like they've written into her that she was she is I think partly there's writing of the character, they've written into her that she is manic p- pixie because she recently died. She spent her whole life repressed and not doing things, and so her manic pixiness is caused by Ned, not the other way around. She's mm. not the one who's bringing him out of her sh- his shell. She's this outgoing character because she's making up after her death for things she didn't do when she was alive. Yeah, absolutely. But then also she just, as an actress, is so charming and compelling and like, <laughs> I really like her. And then of course, Christine like Chenoweth. Yeah. I like all the main actors. I'm, you asked me my favorite part and I'm saying the actors. The actors. The casting and the actors. Kristen Chenoweth is also the best, and I love her. <laughs> and the ants. And the ants. <laughs> the ants are great. Yeah, I love Susie Kurtz in this. It's just oh, so good. I love her with her eye patch and her, like, surly attitude. It's great. Yes. Uh, my favorite has got to be, I mean, I agree with you. It's the cast. And there's something about just the way they use things like the pies that make me want to eat pie. Mm-hmm. There's an immersive element in this show that I just love, and I love the the quirkiness and the and what we haven't mentioned yet is it's narrated by Jim Dale. Yes, and Jim Dale is the best narrator in the history of the universe. Fight me on this. <laughs> His, he does the Harry Potter audiobooks so well. He does. I listened to another audiobook of um, the Night Circus that he did, and he made that book even better. By his just by virtue of his narration, I love Jim Dale, and he adds so much to this. And there's, it's the humor. It's the humor that I love so much because there's things that tickle me. There's things that tickle me specifically when the narrator says he was confused, and then the then the uh, person person talk the actual character says I'm confused it, when the when the characters repeat what the narrator has just said is just like, I love it. I love it so much. That's it a jam a lot, joke. It's a jam joke. <laughs> it's a, I put it in my writing sometimes. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's right a, up it's, jam's it's alley. Right up you laugh alley. hard every time they every do it. Time. And they do it on this show. Yep. Exactly. This is my kind of humor. Is it's exactly to, yeah, it delights me. Yeah. I, Agree totally. Jim Dale, I didn't mention him when you asked me the favorite parts, but the narration by Jim Dale is like a make or break element of this show. If you took the narration out, it would ruin the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? absolutely. And sometimes voiceover is seems tacked on or unnecessary or like, you know, you can take it but or leave it. the fact that he's not a character. Yes. Yeah. And I watch a show that you don't watch called Jane the Virgin, where the narrator is similar. He's a He's kind of a part of the... He's not a, a character on the show, but he adds a lot to it in, in a similar way. I'm going to have to watch that show sometime. I might need to watch that show. 
So do you want to talk a bit more about the, a little bit deeper about what Ooh. all these things mean on Pushing Daisies? Yeah. Let's start with the narrator. Yeah. Why is this a show that has a narrator? What does it mean when a show has a narrator? It's a story. It's once again, like you were saying before, it's to distance you in a way, but also to invite you in to say that this is a, like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. It's all like they don't actually say once upon a time in the first episode, but it's very much like Ned was this many days, this many hours old when yeah, this the, happened. It's very, yeah, the narration just completely makes it a fairy tale. The elements of the narration that come up again and again and again are characters are always 42 years, 32, 42 years, three months, one week, seven days, and 29 and I mean, 17, (laughs) no, it's 29 hours. I had trouble picking this up, not going over the number of any of them when I was thinking (laughs) of random numbers. And nine hours old when blah, 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 blah happened, often when they die. Mm -hmm. And then the other tick that he always says is, the facts were these. The facts were these. And then he tells, and bo- both of those, I agree, are distinctive to this show, but they function like once upon a time. Mm-hmm. They. It's funny how the phrase, the facts were these, is alienating because it the facts were these, and then they tell you something that's not factual. Mm-hmm. They tell you something that's completely fictional. And the facts were these told by a narrator reminds you that it's a narrator that isn't fact. You're watching a show. It's part of what makes the gruesome murders not gruesome. The facts were these. He was impaled by a... And yeah. you're like, oh, well, in that case... Yeah, exactly. It's a cheery voice to make it all feel distanced. Yeah, and the way that he... I agree that Jim Dale's performance of it has a lot to do with the emotional register of the whole show mm-hmm. because he distances you from the show in the cheery voice that makes you... In the Britishness versus the actual American show. Yeah, all the characters are American, but the narrator is British. Why? Because British people are the other. Because <laughs> <laughs> a British accent seems classy to Americans, yeah, seems, seems educated yeah. and erudite. Mm-hmm. And so he has a distance... Uh, he's detached and kind of charmed, but never moved Mm -hmm. by what he's watching. And you have narrators sometimes who do like feel emotionally moved by the characters and the narrator in Pushing Daisies never does. So he's, he's, it's also a bit, uh, newscaster. He's like the RP BBC accent. Yeah. There's something to that too. I think though, I like best what you said before about fairy tale like mm-hmm. it, it makes it he's a storyteller telling you a story yeah and that has to do also with how it has no setting in either space or time it's not in the real world mm-hmm. because it's all a fairy tale it's all a fable and that brings me to if this is a fairy tale if this is a fable that doesn't mm-hmm. have a literal meaning then it has a symbolic meaning. Hmm. What's the fable? If we want to pretend, if we want to think that this is a fable, which isn't the same thing as a fairy tale, does this have like a, is there a lesson this show is trying to teach its audience? And maybe one way to start thinking about that is Ned 
brings Chuck back to life. And that's kind of the inciting incident. That's the Mm -hmm. beginning of the show. Yep. Is there something more than just uh, because it's a fun, quirky premise to the meaning of he is able to bring his first love, his young love, back to life? Mm. I feel like it's be careful what you wish for, in a way, Mm -hmm. is... He wants things back, but he can't have, but when he gets them, he can't have them fully. Yeah. And so he brings his young love back to life, but he can't actually have her. He can't be intimate with her. He mm-hmm. can't, it's still a, chi- a very childlike romance. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think, uh, we think about Ned. And bringing his childhood love back. We think about he brought his mother back and then she died. And he spends the rest of his life making pies because she was making pie when she died. Yes. He brings his childhood love back and then experiences the love childishly. Mm-hmm. A lot of Ned is trying to re- trying and failing to regain the innocence of his childhood that is stolen from him. Right. By the death of his mother, his father abandons him. Like his, it's all told very cheerily, but when you examine it, it's very dark and also very, um, like lots of realistic pathos. Mm -hmm. His childhood is gone and he can't recapture it. And he's spending the rest of his life trying to recapture it as in some sense we all do. Yeah. And we all fail. Yeah. And you, I think, it's partly be careful what you wish for, but I think it's more of you wish all you want, but it's not coming back. Right. And you can recapture something of it, but you can never recapture all of it. Mm. And we can see that with Chuck, with the way that Chuck is trying to live her life now that she's dead and really do things, but she can't reconnect with her aunts that she loves and loves her and raise her. Yeah. And spoiler alert, turns out one of them is secretly her mother. Mm-hmm. But a big part of Chuck's plot throughout is they are uh, completely ruined with grief that their young niece and daughter is dead yeah, and she's not dead and she can't make them feel better because in a sense she is dead because her childhood is gone. Mm-hmm. She's moved out. Moving out from your childhood home is akin to dying to your childhood self. And when you go off to try to live a new life full of promise and achieving the things you've always wanted to achieve, you die to all the people that you are leaving Mm -hmm. and you can't, I mean, it's making literal that you can't go home again. And everything about this show is about, you know, trying and failing to recover the things that you loved once. Mm. And so he brings people back to life for one minute minute. and then they're lost again because Mm -hmm. you can't regain what's lost. And all the characters have lost something in their past. We have, I mean, uh, Emerson Codd, it isn't really until the second season that you really see it, but he's lost his daughter and he's trying to get his reconnect with his daughter. And, uh, even uh, Olive had this past as like a jockey and mm-hmm. she's trying to, to re like, she is always longing for that past. Yeah. She's, she's not actively trying to recapture that past, not necessarily, yeah. but she's longing for it. Mm-hmm. And what she's actively trying is to capture Ned's love. Yeah. Um, 
I think they do well with making her with towing the line between making her an allegory and making her a real person who mm-hmm. isn't just flatly in love with someone who doesn't love her. Wah, wah. Yeah. Uh, they give her some emotional depth, mm. but if we're talking about this show being about wanting things you can't ever have, like she's works yeah. with him and he doesn't care about her and that why that is such a touching uh, story that comes up again and again. It's partly about, what it literally is, like loving someone who doesn't love you back is sad, but that plot always has a secondary meaning about wanting not just a person's love, but love in general, things in general, anything. Mm-hmm. The, the why that is why uh, Eponine from mm-hmm. Le Mis is moving is the same thing, right? It's you want something you're never going to have, but that doesn't stop you from wanting it. Yeah. That's just a universal experience. That's what Ned is going through. That's what Chuck is going through. That's what Olive is going through. And she keeps realizing that she that Ned is never going to love her. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop her from wanting him to. Yeah. And that happens to her again and again in, like, the first season and presumably the second. I don't yep. really remember. So for a show that's, like, whimsical and quirky and charming, like, it's really about longing and loss and how you can never regain what's lost. Yeah, absolutely. And that's also why, I mean, the show makes it fairly textual that why Ned makes pies. Mm. But... It makes it fairly textual that he makes pies because his mother was making pies and then she died and he tries to recapture that. In fact, I say fairly textual. I think the narrator straight up says that. But like, why pies? Because for Ned personally, he's trying to recapture a moment that's lost forever. But also for people in general, even if your mom didn't make pie... Pie is comfort food. Pie is comfort food and he spends his whole life making comfort food... That he can't eat. Yeah. Right? Because he uses rotten fruit to make the pies so that he can, like, to save on the overhead. He uses rotten fruit that he then touches once, brings back to life, and makes delicious pies out of. Uh, and that is, again, another detail that could be just a quirky, haha, this is a really funny show. Mm-hmm. But symbolically... He can never eat the pies. He can never eat the pies. He spends his life making pies he can't eat mm-hmm. and... Uh, living with his true love that he can never touch. Yeah. And Lee Pace kind of looks sad all the time in yep. this show. I mean, Lee Pace kind of looks sad all the time, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> but on this show, Lee Pace always looks kind of sad. And again, it's played for laughs and quirkiness. But when you dig into it a little bit, he is sad. He all the time. is like never has what he longs for. Mm-hmm. And his emotional journey on the show is a series of like, well, I guess this is good enough. Mm -hmm. I really wonder what would have happened if the show had continued and gotten like, you know, five or seven seasons and what would have happened eventually if they had, would would have somehow solved the problem with him and Chuck or if she, yeah. I hope not. (laughs) Yeah. I hope not too. But I also feel like it might've gotten stale. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, too, it was cancelled too soon, but in another sense, it kind of wasn't. It maybe should have been a movie instead of a TV show, because mm. it already was kind of getting stale. Because yeah. as 
imaginative and quirky and creative and charming and delightful as it is, the actual episode by episode of Pushing Daisies is there's a weird quirky murder. They bring them back to life. Solve it. Next episode. Yeah. So I I wonder whether, like, whether there really was enough to keep going. Mm Mm-hmm. Without radically changing the what the episode by episode looks like, it's true, and I've it's interesting like shows like this, like uh, where there's just no resolution. I think about Dead Like Me, which is a girl who dies young, and instead of going to the afterlife, she becomes a Grim Reaper, and so she stays on Earth, but her loved ones can't recognize her. Mm-hmm. But she also, throughout the show, keeps going back to her loved one, keeps going back to her parents and her sister and subtly doing things and contacting them just a little bit and getting in trouble for it. But, like, she can never, like, there's no resolution there ever. Yeah. And the show ends before anything can get resolved satisfactory, like, in a narrative point of view. But also, like, if the show had kept going and had had like a proper series finale, there was never going to be an ending where like her best ending was to go into the afterlife. Right. Her best ending could never be to contact her sister again. Yeah. And to contact her parents again and say goodbye. That was never going to be the ending. And the same with this show is the, the only ending is that Chuck and Ned grow old together, but still never touch. And somehow, or that he accidentally touches her and she dies. Yeah. And like, really, Brian Fuller makes heartbreaking shows. Yes, absolutely. Especially in his whimsical days. Yeah. Like, there's a sense in which Pushing Daisies is more heartbreaking than Hannibal ever was. Yep, I agree. And even like, the options for Ned and Chuck, yeah, are either to grow old together, never having, never touching, or she dies and he moves on. Those are literally the only choices. Or some Deus Ex Machina magic makes her be able to touch him, and that would be the least emotionally satisfying of all. Yeah, I suppose. It's a fairy tale, though. It's a fairy tale, so maybe they do get to be together happily ever after in the end. (laughs) Yeah. Anything else? I think. I think we might be about done, actually. Yeah. Um. Have you seen? Have you seen Pushing Daisies? Do you like it? Do you want to talk to us about whether Pushing Daisies is uh, cancelled too soon or whether it was would have gone stale? Whether it reminds you of Legion or whether that's just our fevered uh, <laughs> minds. <laughs> minds? Let us know. You can talk to us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. That's where we're most likely to see it soonest and answer soonest. Mm-hmm. But we're also on uh, Facebook, we're on, just search Clockworks Cast, we're on Instagram, we're on Reddit, we're just everywhere that you would want to be, yeah, or, to, or not want to be, as the case may be. If you want to send us your thoughts about Pushing Daisies or about Legion, and you don't want it to be public, you can send that by email to clockworkscast at gmail.com. And for the reason we're able to do these bonus extra episodes is because of people's support on Patreon. So thanks to them. And if you want to be one of those extra special people, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Thanks so much for listening. 
I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Dan Moffat. Goodbye.